watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest streaming releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to be taking a look at Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, Palm Springs, First Cow, The Truth, and John Lewis, Good Trouble. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Lockdown is too short for that mess. But you know what it's not too short for? Mm. Two episodes a month, which is what we're going to start doing. <laughs> it's a perfect, perfect amount of time for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we may have teased it on our uh, on our last episode, but... We are now going to try doing this twice a month. We uh, we received a review, a customer review, if you are that listener, thank you, that said it should be twice a month. And we had already been feeling kind of the, the weight of trying to pack all the month's releases into a single episode. And we don't aim to make multi-hour episodes. It just happens sometimes. Yeah, we apologize uh, for that. We do. We we know that it's it's probably annoying uh, to uh, to contemplate that much listening in a single sitting or broken apart. However you do it. It's like the length of a um, movie. You just watch the movie. Yeah, yeah. Probably your own damn was, opinion. <laughs> our June episode was definitely Infinity War length. So uh, <laughs> so we are going to try to keep this one a little bit shorter. And I think also just in general. Uh, we, we, like the rest of the world, weren't sure what movie release calendars would look like um, as the quarantine continues to unfold. But there's there's really been a fair bit of, uh, of streaming releases that have been coming out. And, you know, and these are not the, the, the big studio releases. Like those have still been few and far between. Those are, they're still kind of delusionally hoping that they can release the fucking Christopher Nolan movie in theaters in August or some shit. Mm, um, I mean, Scoop but, came out, so not all of them. We did, yeah. Hashtag not all scoobs. But, uh, but you know, there's been a lot of really cool little streaming movies that have been coming out. And uh, so enough that we are going to go to twice a month now. So, and this is our first step toward doing that because it's only mid-July and here we are having a cramming movie weekend uh, already under our belts. So many. I was kind of surprised. I was thinking that when we would do the two a month, you'd send over like two or three movies, but you send <laughs> over like 12 which yeah. we pared down to one, two, wow. three, four, five. Wow, five. Okay. Well, I mean, everyone has time. Well, not everyone, but some people have time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And, you know, in, the, in these movies, I think we're all, uh, you know, more or less uh, worthy of consideration. So, uh, and we will now further debate their worthiness in the actual reviews. <laughs> Starting with Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. When aspiring musicians Lars and Sigrid are given the opportunity to represent their country at the world's biggest song competition, they finally have a chance to prove that any dream worth having is a dream worth fighting for. I want some sort of award for that description reading. <laughs> Most dramatic really yeah. reading of an yeah. IMDb. <laughs> you ring the maximum amount of drama out of that reading. Uh, now, Rebecca, this was a movie that you requested that we review on the show. Yeah, I think right after we were uh, had finished recording the last one, I asked you if you had seen it. 
um, because I had just seen it, and I think I saw it even before we recorded the last episode. Anyway, nobody cares. Uh, (laughs) The songs were stuck in my head, and I was uh, listening to them constantly, so I asked if you had seen it. And I think you hadn't at the time, and you were like, well, should we put it on the list? And I said, yes, please, uh, because that's one less that I have to watch later, and also (laughs) I'd love to discuss it. Um, (laughs) And then you saw it uh, shortly after? You said you'd been hearing about it? Yeah, I think that when we taped our last episode, it had like just hit Netflix that weekend. Um, and so and I've been seeing all the coverage of it. And oh, right. I, I was, was watching it in the background while you while we were having our last podcast. That's what it was. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. That does track. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering what all the wild gyration was about. And I realized yeah. that you were dancing to Eurovision songs. There you go. Um, and not just sort of reacting really enthusiastically to my hot takes. Um, so. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, so I watched it like oh, a week ago now, and uh, so I'm prepared to uh, compare notes with you about it. Uh, so, had... what did you what did you like about this movie in addition to the music? <laughs> yeah, oh, in addition to the music, it's not just a soundtrack yeah. put to pictures. <laughs> it might just be that. Uh, well, let's start with the the, the question. Actually, um, I think we haven't asked it in a while. In one of these uh, reviews, it's like. Are you a Will Ferrell fan? And what is your favorite Will Ferrell movie, kind of? Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, generally, I'm a Will Ferrell fan. You know, I was a kid who, you know, came of age watching SNL in the 90s. Mm. So, uh, you know, so I'll always um, be partial to him. In terms of my favorite movie of his, like, you know, I know it's like a basic straight guy quoting movie, but Anchorman is just a masterpiece. Oh, I always um, forget you love that movie. Oh, I do love Anchorman. I really do. I mean, I remember seeing it in theaters for the first time and just having my head like split open from how funny it was. <laughs> um, so it's it's just great. So I think that's far and away my favorite Will Ferrell movie. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's the kind of guy that like generally speaking, even when the material isn't funny, he still manages to make it funny. I mean, Blades of Glory is another favorite mm. uh, Will Ferrell movie, which is a bit similar to this one in terms of it sort of like, you know, skewering the sort of like highly theatrical, mm. um, flamboyant uh, performance that feels kind of very European mm. in a way that figure skating always feels somewhat European. But, uh, but yeah, how about you? Um, also grew up 90s SNL, uh, Will Ferrell fan. I feel like the, the movies, like the, the big, the elf, the uh, anchorman, aren't my favorites when he does kind of like that weird character or he's um i'm thinking of that zach galifianakis movie he's like a weird villain he's not the star um the, the between two ferns like movie that they oh, released the, oh okay and he when he gets to be like a little bit darker i think than than he than he is in those like adorable goof lead roles i think i like th- those roles a little bit better um but yeah, I mean it's 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 hard not to like him. I really like Downhill. Did we we ended up talking about not Downhill, right? We did. Yes. Um I loved him in that. Um I thought this would be more similar to like a Zoolander. Um and then someone who had watched it was like it's more like an elf. And I could see that's more like an elf. It's definitely more like a the Blades of Blades of Glory. 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 Yeah. Um but I think this comes at a, a really great time. This is a, a perfect distraction uh, summer movie. 
uh, where you're completely swept up into this world of of reality dash nonsense, and it it skewers politely um, Nordic countries, um, Eurovision Song Contest, Russia, um, and we have some great performances by Rachel McAdams. Were you falling over yourself for her in this one? No. Really? No, I mean, I thought that she was good. Uh, let's just say my overall opinion in this movie is very low. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I see. You were setting me up. I see the timing. <laughs> I was just Tell me you what you loved about this movie. Please. <laughs> Go ahead. You fell for it every time. <laughs> you know, oh, he's asking for my opinion. This is this is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Should have known it was a trap. There must not be a hidden motive here. <laughs> um, I think this movie is just delightful. I think it's um, it it the, there's nothing really to expect from it in terms of it being groundbreaking. It's just like what's the next um silly outlandish thing that can happen. It's a very there's a lot of physical comedy. It um, it's gentle in a way. Dan Stevens um plays a an unforgettable Russian singer who is just this. A showstopper of a of a lion tamer of a performance and it just feels like the kind of movie that makes you excited it's like a, a friday night and you want to put on and enjoy now tell me how, why you hate everything how much would you love if carly ray jepson were to do a covers album of the songs in this movie i've already thought about it i've already asked Have her you? on instagram <laughs> <laughs> Well, then it's probably in the works because I know that she takes your requests pretty seriously. She does. We're tight. For me, this movie, I think that I genuinely like didn't laugh once, like the entire time. Um, and this being a comedy, like we always <laughs> say, <laughs> comedy kind of lives or dies based on whether it's funny. Mm. And um, and I, I I I didn't laugh. I just didn't think it was. It was never like laugh out loud funny. And um, because it was almost kind of, to use your word, gentle. It was it was weirdly gentle. And the elf comparison is spot on, too, because I don't really care about that movie. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, in the sense that it was like it's a more it doesn't have, um, you know, more of a um, it doesn't really go hard for laughs. It's a very gentle, lighthearted comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, just the premise, when I heard the premise, I was like sold because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, these are obviously, you know, Will Ferrell is, is a comedy great. David Dobkin, the director has made some, some great comedies. And, um, you know, and this is one of the easiest, ripest targets for parody there is, uh, <laughs> your, your vision song contest. So I'm like, how can they make that unfunny? But they did. And I, I also remember just feeling chilled to the bone whenever I pressed play and it showed me the running time of like two solid hours. That's ridiculous. Well, I mean, it's a lot <laughs> this, of songs. This, it's basically this, a musical. This, uh, but, it's not my, made to be two hours long. For, but, but the songs. But the songs. But the songs. But the songs. I feel like uh, that, that... But literally, I do think that's why it's a longer movie, right? I mean... There's like a full performance by Dan Stevens. There's three full performances by them. There's that the song along, which I thought you would enjoy. Um, that I mean, alone is like a half an hour. <laughs> I mean, all the stuff you just de- detailed was probably like 20 minutes of the movie. 
so, and that leaves about a hundred other minutes that are just kind of not especially funny character scenes, mm. um, you know, chronicling the sort of, um, you know, this, this unexpected rise of, um, of this Icelandic group, Iceland, right? Yes, Iceland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did the one thing that I did sort of laugh at continually was the sort of attack on American tourists. Um, <laughs> but even even that was tempered somewhat by, you know, knowing these are like American actors playing Icelandic musicians scolding American tourists for being mm-hmm. in Iceland. Um, yeah, I, 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 Dan Stevens was beautiful, as always. One of our <laughs> one of our most handsome actors. And he, you know, he just similarly just off the air, we were talking about how great Nicholas Holt is on on uh, on the great, and mm-hmm. and Stephen similarly is a, a shamefully handsome uh, British actor who is also far funnier than he has any right to be. Uh, <laughs> so and he his is certainly the breakout turn in this movie. So uh, you know the songs were you know fine. I really. Yeah, I didn't like there was no song in the movie that I was like, oh, I love this. Like maybe I just listened to a lot more pop music, but it was just like, yeah, that's a pop song. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole movie reminded me more than anything of Pitch Perfect 2, uh, in which the Bellas find themselves basically entering what what amounts to a Eurovision style contest in Copenhagen that is meant to be like the international, it's like the international acapella version of Eurovision. And, uh, and it's like them facing off against all these sort of, you know, eccentric European acapella vocal groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't like that one either. But mm. uh, yeah, so I feel like, you know, I'm being a bummer because I didn't like it. I mean, but, yeah, that's, I that's your that's your brand. You roll with it. People want to have fun. Like, listen to me. People uh, want something a little bit more mean or cruel at these times. So I'm sure you have a recommendation for them as well. It's cool. It's cool. We're good. Something for everybody. Oh my god! Yeah, I don't know. To me, it just dragged on, and it wasn't funny. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it was funny because it even reminded me of um. I think let's say week, the weekend that I watched this, I also watched um, Drop Dead Gorgeous because you know, which of course I've seen a million times because it's now streaming on HBO Max mm. and it's finally in HD, which it's never been before. And um and that that has some similarities to this movie in the sense that it involves. Um, kind of uh, people entering a competition and then losing, but then winning because everyone else dies <laughs> uh, uh, or true. gets sick or blows up. Um, there's in both this and Rob de Gorgeous, uh, we have a competitor to are vanquished by an explosion, uh, thus clearing a path for our hero to um, to ascend. So, but uh, but yeah. So yeah, I'm not gonna keep belaboring the point. I just didn't think it was funny. So I did. I did not. I did not care. I did not care for it. Um. So you're giving it a. Send it back. Ooh. Yeah. It's a full. It's a full send it back for me. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Well. Like like no no redeeming value for me at all in this movie. Wow. I mean, it's definitely not a drop dead gorgeous. It's not. That is a a a category of its own in terms of biting and uh memorable humor um i don't know maybe i just really had an appetite for something more gentle right now where i I feel like i didn't um yeah just maybe have the bandwidth for this almost feels more like a rom-com maybe than a a comedy when you when you think about the the bucket that dropped gorgeous is in this i think this skewers more towards the rom-com side of things um 
but I did find the the music entertaining, uh, addictive, and um, I, I I did find it very funny. So uh, it's getting a binge it for me. All right. Well, wow. we the old seven ten split. It's a loose <laughs> there many, but uh, here we are. Let's see how we feel about the rest of the movies. Um, in the meantime, this one is uh, streaming on Netflix, and it's rated PG-13 for crude sexual material, including full nude sculptures. What? Oh, my God, I'm not reading this. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> no, that's really what it says. <laughs> uh, well, the people don't need to know. PG-13. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> sculptures are the new ritualistic violence. <laughs> uh, standards and practices can go to hell with this one. <laughs> Sorry, Katie Haas. <laughs> um, movie number two is Palm Springs when carefree Niles and reluctant maid of honor Sarah have a chance encounter at a Palm Springs wedding things get complicated as they are unable to escape the venue themselves or each other when I knew there was a movie coming out called Palm Springs starring one Mr. Joanna Newsom, let me tell you sir I was very excited <laughs> Those are two of my favorite things. Yeah. Yeah, this movie's right up your alley. It really is. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Rebecca will take any any excuse at all to to hop off to Palm Springs. It's 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 just her favorite getaway. It's the last place I went before we uh, couldn't go anywhere anymore. Um, and I would say if you were to say there was a movie about Palm Springs starring Andy Samberg, is this the movie I thought it would be? Absolutely not. Oh, really? I don't know. I think Palm Springs just has so much tied to it. Um, The associations of what what that city area um, is about that it's it's a little it's misleading. It was misleading to me that that it's called Palm Springs and it's so much about something else. Um, Unless there's something that I'm missing that I haven't thought through. Let me think. Yeah, I mean, I guess the location is kind of incidental. Um, Well, maybe not. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's kind of the same all year round Mm, yeah that's true and it also kind of adds to the um the kind of joke of being stuck in this purgatory of like an instagram ready wedding right um and i think we can probably safely assume that a lot of these characters are from la Mm -hmm. and so we have basically these sort of like la hipsters who are all like absconding to palm springs for an instagram wedding um, and that that is hellish. That is that is definitely a circle of hell. So <laughs> I think that uh, so in that way, in that way, it's 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 spot on. And also sort of the isolation, I guess, of being in the middle of the desert, mm-hmm. um, because this 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 they are not. If it, it, based on what we see, they are not near like downtown Palm Springs. You know, they're yeah, very much, I like in like the middle of the desert. It is more of a Joshua tree than it is a mm-hmm. Palm Springs. Um, but there is the idea that it's like an artificial city as well, sort of like created from nothing that also maybe ties into the main storyline. Um, but I, 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 I don't know. I've sort of felt it would be more of a, yeah, <laughs> about yeah, the town at all, maybe. <laughs> yeah, um, what's your dream movie about Andy Samberg and Palm Springs? I mean, this might be it. Um, but I just didn't know that going into it and i think there's that's a whole other thing that going into this movie um you know it's starring andy samberg maybe you've seen some photos of him in like a hawaiian shirt like is it if you don't 
if you haven't read ahead of time, like I have did not. Um, you haven't seen you might, it's like, is this... like we're back on vacation. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Um, <laughs> like, is this kind of a lonely island thing? Is this going to be like him being this, you know, character, like a pop star where he is like similar to almost like a Will Ferrell character? Like, is he this like dumb but kind of lovable idiot um, larger than life type character. And the, and the first part of the movie, he starts to do some things that we don't understand why, but he kind of falls into that persona of like, you know, acting like a really um, confident, suave, this dancer at this wedding, uh, totally not caring about the social norms. And so I think that tricks you into when you later find out exactly why he's doing what he's doing. It's a completely different story. It's, it's, much different than than the expectations. And I really want to be careful about this one, right? In terms of spoiling it? Um, I mean, I think it's it's in terms of the the primary kind of conceit of what they're stuck in, I think that that's it's like known. It's it's like the log line of the movie. So I think mm. it's okay to say they're in a <laughs> groundhog day time loop. I, I don't think Fair that's enough. meant to be like a shocker. Like that's kind of the the that's that's the leading subject of the movie. It's the fact that they're stuck in a time I mean, loop. I will tell you, not knowing that was the premise at all was quite an enjoyable ride. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like it'll be seriously impossible to talk about it without talking about that. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and that's like every single thing I read about it from when it premiered Sundance was all like, yeah, it's like Groundhog Day. So, mm. uh, so I don't, I don't know. The bummer, bummer for Spoiling. you all who have, <laughs> listening to this before seeing it hope you've seen it already uh what did you expect from uh an andy sandberg film? what did you think of this movie um yeah i mean this this is uh i was just texting with a friend last night about this movie kind of being one of the biggest um kind of streaming releases of um of quarantine uh, in the sense that this was a movie that was like a major acquisition at Sundance. Um, it was very, very well received there in January. And um, and it's available on a platform that like most people have, which is Hulu. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, so it's 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 kind of feels like a, a bigger deal than, um, you know, than a lot of these other uh, titles. And you also don't have to pay extra for it. So even the Mimas of the world are happy. Uh, <laughs> so. So yeah, I mean, this movie was was more or less what I expected. I was trying to imagine like you know what I would think if I went and saw it in a theater, like if I would have thought like oh yeah like this is great, or if I would have thought like yeah this feels like a streaming movie. Um, mm. Like for instance, the Eurovision movie, I I feel like it felt like a made for Netflix comedy. A hundred percent. But uh, but this one, you know, th- this was not made for Hulu. Hulu acquired it. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. This one was very funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's agreed. You're like, phew. Uh, yeah. Like this is a hilarious movie, you know, and it's a, it's a Lonely Island production, even though the Lonely Island guys are not, uh, weren't working directly in terms of writing or directing, but they're producers and they clearly were shaping just the sense of humor the timing especially just the timing of the jokes uh like this is really not a movie that overdoes any of its gags like it's very um it's very restrained uh like it hits on a lot of the expected beats but it's self-aware about it like mm-hmm. it knows that there's a bunch of other stuff out there where characters get stuck in a time loop it knows that's not new 
And so it's very clever with its montages in terms of like unpacking and addressing all those kinds of expected um, tropes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially since we have this setup where Andy Samberg's character um, has uh, is the kind of the expert who's been in this for a long time. And then uh, when Kristen Milioti's character uh, you know, finds herself in it with him, you know, he's sort of her Sherpa or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so it's very funny. Um, it sort of lightly skewers, you know, it, it, in a sort of an Ingrid Goes West way, mm. uh, the sort of like hit Instagram set. Um, and for me, it, it's funny as it was, it honestly kind of sparked, it, it kind of triggered some kind of quarantine existential depression. Oh, interesting. Uh, watching it because, you know, it really feels in the sense that these characters are indefinitely stuck um, in a very confined experience um, and have no clue how to get out of it or if they ever will, that felt to me like the moment we're living in. And so that was upsetting. <laughs> that was Interesting. Not- that was definitely not uh, obviously something that the filmmakers knew uh, would be the reality of the world that their film was ultimately released in. Um, but yeah, that it really, it made me feel very like, yeah, trapped. I was like, yeah, we're all trapped. We're all fucking trapped. Uh, we have no estimated uh, time of resolution. Um, so I think in that way, it it is even more timely in a way. It is even more appropriate that this movie is being released and it's kind of a major it seems like a lot of people are finding it on hulu and uh and watching it and talking about it and engaging with it and uh so yeah so it's a it's a very much of its of its time of its moment uh kind of high concept romantic comedy um and you know it's it's you know they, they use the time loop thing to sort of just talk about the early stages of being in a relationship and uh and of you know sort of the way that you um you know sort of grow with your partner and sort of the block the roadblocks you hit along the way and you're at different points in your each journey and then you're thrown together so you know i thought that those things were effective the cast is great in addition to andy sandberg and kristen miliati um there's also meredith hagner who plays his girlfriend <laughs> uh who is also on search party and she is a genius She's so goddamn funny. I love her. Uh, we have Peter Gallagher. Uh, always, a, always, <laughs> always a treasure. Always, always a dad. Legacy. Always a hot dad. So, uh, although, except for he's on. Have you watched Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist? Um, I've seen like two episodes and I want to die. Yeah. Um, I just love that he's playing like Guy Blank. Jerry Blank's father, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Of all the actors in the world, the cast is a guy blank. Why you would pick Peter Gallagher, I have no idea. So but, uh, yeah. So, yeah, generally J.K. speaking. Um, J.K. Rowling, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. Take a moment to, to, to smudge the room. Seriously. Simmons? <laughs> yes, J.K. Simmons. <laughs> J.K. Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what's funny about that is um, when I was at the uh, the premiere of The Meddler, which he's also in, you know, mm-hmm. six years ago, however long ago that was, um, 
someone in the audience for the Q&A afterward like raised their hand. They're like, yes, I have a question for Mr. Rowling. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then everyone started laughing while they were like starting their question and they kind of looked around like, what, what, what's funny? <laughs> um, it and, happens. Uh, and uh, Lorraine Scafaria on stage was like, it's okay, there can be two, there can be two, there's two. There's two. <laughs> And then she introduced me to him afterward at the after party, and I called him Mr. Rowling, and he didn't didn't like it. No. So, <laughs> man before his time, didn't mm, even exactly. know the reasons he, we had to to dislike that association. He knew back then. J.K. Simmons knows all, and uh, and yes, and he has a very a very sort of delightfully unhinged uh, character in this movie, <laughs> providing sort of a counterpoint. I didn't find this movie to be uh, the trigger for the existential dread uh, that you did. I found it, there's one key difference is that in, in their situation, there are no consequences. So you have this ability to to live each day in whatever way you find enjoyable. And granted, there is a, a time limit to what you find anything, how you can find anything enjoyable in a time loop. Um, but uh, this movie has like, you know the the gimmick of it. The gimmick of the time loop is clever and fun. Um, you know the science of it is explained enough, in it, but not too much to make it you know seem impossible. And the sort of like the things that they do with their time while they're there, and 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 the way you're along for the ride as you un- when you start to understand the loop that they're in and why. Like following the puzzle pieces along with them is is a really nice way to um, be really engaged in the story. And, and Andy Samberg's a, um, a a complete delight to 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 be following. And then at the end of the day, you know, it's this crazy time loop story, but it's just about being afraid to make changes um, or taking control of your own life, which I think inside or outside of quarantine is a, is a relevant. Um, relevant thread, and it's kind of a, a a bigger thing than even COVID right now. Um, it was great. It was really well done. I think that those right those can be really tricky to have something so gimmicky and not make it um I don't know too obvious or too boring. And it was it was wonderful. This is getting a binge it for me. Yeah, I'd give it like a binge minus. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's up, it's up there for me. And I guess for me, the reason why it's still ultimately, you know, makes me think about our current moment is that like, no matter what they do, no matter how far away they drive in, you know, in the course of a single day, the next day, they're just going to be, they're just going to start right back over again. And I guess that's what makes me feel like, you know, no matter how far away you drive, you can't like out drive the moment that we're living in. Mm. Um, so back to my sadness. <laughs> that's where it is. <laughs> Uh, I tried so hard to invalidate it, but okay. Palm um, <laughs> Springs is streaming on Hulu, as Jason mentioned, and it is rated R. Um, first cow. Third movie, first cow. <laughs> a skilled cook has traveled west and joined a group of fur trappers in Oregon, though he only finds true connection with a Chinese immigrant also seeking his fortune. Soon the two collaborate on a successful business. A24, Evie the cow, get hip, or get the fuck out. Jason sent me, right before we started this um, taping, 
um, that Evie the cow, the first cow, star of this movie, has uh, is available on Cameo. So you can send friends, family, uh, frenemies, enemies, uh, videos, uh, wishing them happy birthday, congratulations, get over yourself, um, ah. videos starring Evie the cow on Cameo. Ugh. You know, and and right now the rate's pretty low, and Eve the cow is only going to go up in the world. So mm-hmm. uh, get, get in, in get while in, the while getting's good. good. Exactly. Pretty pretty soon she's not going to be uh, she's not going to be as affordable. Uh, no. Her rate's going to go way up. Which is uh, a really good way to introduce this movie about <laughs> supply and demand and capitalism. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All roads lead to capitalism critique. <laughs> And the the way this is a both um, a story of fur trappers in uh, 1800s Oregon and San Francisco circa a year ago. <laughs> so uh, this is the latest film by Kelly Reichardt. Uh, I don't know if we reviewed any Kelly Reichardt movies on this show. Did we? Did we do certain? Did so. we do certain women? Did we I don't think women? we did. Okay, and I think that was her last movie before this. Um. I think I've only so seen the one with uh, Michelle Williams. She's been in three. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. No, I've seen the one with uh, her and her dog. Yeah, Wendy and Lucy. The one that I should not have seen. But yes, I've seen Wendy and Lucy. Yeah, so let's get right to that. Um, did you cry in this movie? Did I? No, I did not. Okay, so the cow was never, the cow never drove you to tears. Uh, no, there are some beautifully gentle moments with this cow, though. Um, very tender. Very tender. That uh, maybe on a different day could have. The only movie I think that's made me cry of the ones we've looked at so far would be Eurovision. That made you cry? Yeah, when she sings the hometown song. Aww. I definitely cried. That's why it's a it's a ro- it's a rom com. Anyway, go on. Did, I'm assuming you didn't cry. Uh, no, of course not. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, no. Did you read uh, the vulture piece on how they cast Eve the cow? Um, I did not, but I know there was like um, there were several cows that had their people come and 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 put in bids. Yes, Please it was me. it was it was really it was really a casting. It was a casting cattle call. That's what it was. Mm. But uh, but no, apparently they uh, they sent Kelly Reichardt a series of pictures of different cows that this that this animal casting agency represented. And uh, and ultimately, what she wanted was a cow that was small because John Magaro, the actor who plays um, one of the two lead characters, is a very petite guy, and so she didn't oh. want the cow to be like wildly outsizing him. And um, so she's like, <laughs> she's like, I want a little cow. With giant eyes, which is uh, which is funny. Uh, get, in <laughs> get in line. Get in line. Have you seen my vision board? That's literally all it says over and over. Uh, oh, cow, giant eyes. <laughs> so uh, and which is funny because that's also really what most actors are. They are petite and they have giant eyes. Uh, I mean, let's and- go back to uh, Melody from Palm Springs. Yes, and also from the truth. Mm-hmm. Bovine true. eyes everywhere in these movies. Oh my God, can't get away from the bovine eyes. And uh, and so that was how they came to cast Eve the cow. And there's even a cute little story in there about how uh, 
Eve took a real yes and approach to her scenes uh, because, <laughs> because there's a scene where they um, they had blocked it one way because, um, you know, they had to really just pattern train her so that she would like do the things they need her to do in the scenes. And uh, but then there was a scene where they had to like at the last minute switch the side that John McGarrow approached her from um, and uh, and they weren't able to prepare her for it. But she somehow just knew that to just roll with it. And so even though he came from the other side, she like still just went to him and nuzzled him. Oh, oh, it's that scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, so good. He, she is a tiny cow. Now, when I think about it in the context of that scene when when all of the men are around her, mm-hmm. it's a tiny cow. Yeah. She's, and the, she's the glorious scenes of her crossing uh, the river on the, like fording the river on the little raft. Oh, just mm-hmm. show stopper. I mean, you know, tiny cow is my body type on grinder, so I really did relate to. Uh, relate it's to unfortunate your eyes are so small. <laughs> Tell me about it. Story of my life. My acting career will never take off. But uh, but yeah. So this this movie. So Kelly Reichardt is not for all tastes, um, because her movies tend to be extremely. Some might say excruciatingly slow and uneventful. Uh, her films are very much an acquired taste. But with that said, First Cow, I feel like, is probably her most accessible movie that she has made. Um, it takes a little while to get rolling, uh, mm-hmm. story-wise. But in Reichardt terms, <laughs> um, this is like Transformers. Uh, this is like <laughs> Reichardt does Michael Bay uh, compared to her past movies. So... And then once, you know, once we do have the story take off, once we do have this very just precious, precious uh, friendship between these two men um, take off uh, and we are, you know, walking along with them as they're sort of like figuring out these schemes to, you know, sort of illicitly take milk from Lucy the cow and to then uh, use it to make these delightful pastries and sell them and, you know, in these frontier villages. Uh, Like it's, it's just delightful. It's just such a treat. This movie is also gentle. This is very a gentle, very gentle movie. Um, I so I saw the trailer for this back in the before time, and yeah. I remember I was turned off by the trailer, and then well, I watched the movie yesterday. And then watch the trailer again afterwards because my, my partner was like, I thought I'd want to see this. What was the trailer like? Well, what about the trailer made me want to see this? And when it, we watched the trailer, the trailer makes it, it's so terrible. It's so, like, it makes it look like it's going to be this, like, hot, super heartwarming story. They put all the dialogue movie in the trailer. It cuts really fast. It, like, all of the... I guess what some would call excruciatingly slow, but I would call beautifully paced, um, is is like stripped from it. And I, and I guess that's you know why you would put a trailer like that out, out of there because people may not want to see something this long. But it it's definitely another situation where it's not selling you what uh, you're actually getting. And in my opinion, uh, you're getting something much better than the trailer had to offer. The, the trailer was was like, is this some sort of like? christian movie that oh no yeah it was you should rewatch you should watch the trailer it's it's a weird weird piece the weird way to represent this film a rare miss from a24 marketing huh Mm, mm -hmm, definitely interesting yeah i mean this i don't know if i ever really saw the trailer for this but um but yeah this was one of the last movies that i actually saw in a theater 
Mm. Um, I think it was like Monday, March 9th. And I went to back to that press screenings of this and um, never, sometimes, rarely, always, mm. or whatever order of words that is. And uh, and I was with Ingo at both of them. And and I think we watched first Cal first and then um, never, rarely, sometimes, always. And Ingu was just so, she was still in such, like, her afterglow from First Cow was so considerable uh, going into <laughs> Never Rarely that she was just all the more put off by how kind of clinical that movie is. Wow, what, a, like, what a back-to-back. Why can't they all be First Cow? Uh, was Those her, couldn't was be more different. Indeed. Um, and uh, so this is just... This is just a beautiful little masterpiece. Even even going down to so you know the, the frame the frame of this movie um, involves um, Alia Shawkat uh, as a woman in the present day uh, who is sort of um, just walking in the woods in Oregon uh, and comes across a discovery. We'll put it that Search way. party, if you will. <laughs> um, uh, she's so good in that show. Um, so uh, and then this discovery. Um, you kind of sometimes forget when you're watching the movie, but then you'll remember and you're like, oh no, oh no, no, no. Mm. Um, but but even the way, I'll just say, the way that the movie handles it is is true to its its nature. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was so petrified that we were going to have to see something. Mm-hmm. That I, I was really so relieved at the end of this movie. Oh, I, So me relieved. Me too. So it would be so unnecessary to do it any other way. You know, there's like one period kind of at the beginning where... Um, the main character cookie is is being the camp cook for this group of fur trappers before they kind of hit the town that they're heading to and just the the difference between his very gentle he's the he's a chef he's a cook uh for the group and and there are these you know hunter trappers and they're just they're, they're so um violent and and brutal and and mean and threatening each other and he just like doesn't have a doesn't have a, a place in that world and then he goes and he, he runs into um uh, his friend uh who he kind of had helped in the forest and they start their friendship as just two different kind of guys they're just um you know they have their own dreams um <laughs> opening hotels in San Francisco and, and bakeries. Um, and they're, it's just, they're so out of step with the world around them. Um, and, and luckily there isn't a lot of like going back to the sort of violent, um, is toxic masculinity even a word for <laughs> trapper culture <laughs> in the 1800s? Yeah, this movie is a scathing condemnation of trapper culture. It's about time someone called <laughs> it out. They've someone, it you know, Big Beavers had it too good for too long. <laughs> it's time for all those trapper sculptures to come down because uh, they don't deserve <laughs> that uh, that kind of that kind of laudatory place in history. Uh, you know, like this is like this this on paper is a movie that. I shouldn't like just for the mere fact that there's really no women in it um, mm-hmm. aside from Alia Shawkat, who we only see at the very beginning. And then I think maybe again at the very end. Um, I don't think at the but, end, uh, but there are two women that speak to each other. Uh, one is the wife of the um, sort of head military uh, guy at the camp. And um, I think the wife of the um, like the indigenous tribe, in that area right. and they they have like a conversation 
in I think it's called Chinook Wawa, like uh, the the jargon of the language of the people at the time. But you can't tell if it passes the Bechdel test because I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> uh, you know, Kelly Reichardt, she's she's keeping us on our toes. She, she's yes. like, well, like, and if you can't tell, then are you really an expert? And should you be weighing in? But uh, but you know, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like on on paper, this is just not a movie I have to care about because it's just about like two guys who become friends and cook things. And I don't care about movies about male friendship. I don't care about cooking. And yet, I I love, love, love this movie. And I, I saw, you know, you know, like I, I connected with the characters. I really connected with like the way that they are sort of like a, a refuge for for one another mm. um, from from this very sort of aggressive, competitive culture that they are in. And, um, you know, and it, and it does feel on some level homoerotic, um, if only because culturally the things they want to do are the things that gay men want to do. Uh, they, they just want to, like, make cute treats and then, like, go open a and b in San Francisco. Like, you know, like, it's, it's really, uh, you know, and just in the absolute, like, just warm, tender affection they have for each other. Um, you know, they're, they're, it's just, it's beautiful. Like, it feels like a love story. It feels very much like a platonic love story between these two men, Mm -hmm. um, who find each other and through their, just their connection, sort of lift each other out of the circumstances that they were in, uh, when the movie begins. And they were both in considerably worse circumstances at that point. I really enjoy Um, the fact that, like, you see their characters do, and, and this, you know, may have just been out of necessity at, at the time, but it's, shown in this movie that they do a lot of like what is typically seen on screen as, as women's work, right? Cleaning, collecting flowers for the house, cooking, um, caring for each other. And I also enjoy that that's, that's not a part of the movie that they have to like face any kind of abuse about. And to be clear, there is no like a homosexual relationship in this movie. So that it's not that angle, but even just kind of like for being who they are and for being, yeah, non-trappers yeah. like I, there's a, a bit at the beginning where he's kind of bullied by the other um fur trappers but it seems like it's more about the like fact he isn't finding the food that they they want to eat and he, all he can get is mushrooms but it's not yeah they they're able to kind of live this this more gentle life without abuse they only kind of have to start to deal with the consequences of the things that they've done um that they thought they were being so clever about <laughs> yes, yes. And you know what? Sometimes pastry chefs who are bachelors become roommates, you know? Like, why do they have to be gay? <laughs> what do they do? Why is it always so, everyone's so quick to jump to conclusions on these things? I felt like uh, one of the things that came to me when I watched the trailer again at the end was that I, I was like, oh, yeah, I thought this was like uh, the guys who made the first food truck. Like, it felt really cheesy like that um, in a way that, again, the movie is not at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, this trailer sounds terrible. So any of you out there, <laughs> you watch that trailer and also, like Rebecca, uh, assumed, okay, this movie's going to be like cheesy as hell and like some sort of weird faith-based uplifting exactly. uh, story. Then, I want to get this let, message across very clear. Yeah, let us assure you the movie is not that. It's not that at all. And even though it is very tender, it is not a sentimental movie. I don't sounds think. Great. What are you giving this one? And this is my pick of the week, so binge it. Wow. Binge it on those little oily cakes, huh? Mm-hmm. God, those those look good. 
Uh, <laughs> and really, I love that their secret is basically they're like, yeah, you know, like they're they're like it's like it's sort of like they went to a village full of people who'd only eaten gluten free foods, <laughs> and uh, they're like, let's make these these with real ingredients, and people are like, oh, what's this? <laughs> uh, I'm also giving a binge. Am I on three binges? It's so binges. It's so binge. It's so far. I think so. Yeah. Well, first cow is available on Apple, Amazon, and Google, and it's rated PG-13. Um, all right. Next movie is The Truth. When Fabienne, an iconic star of French cinema, publishes her memoirs, her daughter Lumiere returns from New York to Paris with her husband and young daughter. The reunion between mother and daughter quickly turns to confrontation. Truths will be told, accounts settled, and loves and resentments confessed. So quick disclaimer, when I watched this movie for about the first half of the movie, the subtitles did not line up <laughs> with the movie. What? And it was very difficult to watch. I almost stopped because it, it's such what? a, you know, it's a dialogue heavy movie and you, I couldn't tell who was saying what. And it was taking me so long to kind of like work backwards to figure out what what people were saying, who was saying it, that I was like losing the story. And also I wasn't being, I wasn't able to like capture the acting. And then about halfway through it caught up. Oh my God. So let me just you're put like, that so, there. You're like, so send it back. Uh, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like couldn't tell what was happening. Terrible movie. Next. I mean, it needs to be fixed. Cool. It's impossible. <laughs> That's it wasn't awful. like even captioned by default because it's a lot of it's in French. Um, yeah. so that was strange. No, you know what? I had a similar, somewhat similar situation because when the movie came on for me, um, the first scene is in French and, uh, and it's Catherine Deneuve's character Fabienne being interviewed by a journalist and it was in French with no subtitles. And I was like, in movies will sometimes do that. If like they mm. kind of want you to not understand what's being said. But as it went on and on, I was like, well, I feel like I should, I should, and I'm like catching, you know, every other word, but I'm like not able to like fully understand what's being said because French is the only language I speak any of. And, uh, and then eventually I was like, let me just toggle with my subtitles. And I had to like turn subtitles on to actually, mm -hmm. which is usually not the case with foreign films. It's baked in. Right. So, yeah, and also like, thing, it wasn't, they didn't have the subtitles in English. So if you put on subtitles because you're hard of hearing, you you, you get all of the subtitles. Um, but it didn't have them in when they were speaking English. So that yeah, was just a little it made it a little hard. IFC, like it's yeah, it's it's that was that's unfortunate. I'm sorry that, that was your experience of watching yeah. it. That must have because it really is like there's really nothing more to it than like the dialogue and the characters. Right. So the first half is a little to... fuzzy for me. Mm, okay. Um, all right. Well, so this movie is uh, is the first movie made out made outside Japan by uh, Hirokazu Koreeda, who last made Shoplifters, uh, which was quite quite the international uh, cause celeb, uh, which won the Palme d'Or at Cannes the year that it screened there. And um, and after the success of that movie, he started to get a lot of offers from around the world to come and make movies outside of his uh, outside his outside his native country and language but apparently it was Juliette Binoche in France who pushed the hardest and so he agreed to come and make a movie in France and, uh, and he wrote 
the characters with all three leads in mind. So these were written for Juliette Binoche, Catherine Deneuve, and Ethan Hawke, uh, who just looked happy to be invited along. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> An interesting role to be written for him, but <laughs> I know. he does seem to be taking it, taking it in stride. Yeah. Yeah, because the role, you know, the, this character is meant to be this sort of, like, floundering actor. Uh, I think they call like, him a second-rate TV actor. Second-rate TV actor, exactly. So Corey is like, Ethan Hawke! Um, and Ethan Hawke's like, I am fine. I'm not offended. I'm there. So, and I don't blame him, because this movie marks the first real on-screen um, collaboration of two of the greatest French actresses, or just actresses, period, of all time. Um, it does not get, for those of us who, you know, grew up pretentiously loving French film, it, it's hard <laughs> to imagine a more dream-like scenario than Catherine Deneuve and Julia Binoche playing mother and daughter. So this movie gives us that, and for that, I will always be grateful to it. Um, the movie itself, though, generally has been met with a bit of a sort of like a, well, it's okay, but eh kind of mm. reaction because it's Corieta. So I think that that's when, when people saw that Corieta was collaborating with these two, they were like, okay, like here comes the boom, like mm. watch out. And instead, what I found myself needing to do at the beginning of the movie was to actually just pretend I didn't know who directed it mm. and to just like, to just engage it like it was just any other sort of like, you know, French comedy of manners um, with, uh, with this great cast. Because I don't think that it, it necessarily transcends into like sort of the profoundness that people associate with his earlier work. Um, it does feel like a bit of a trifle, but it's by no means bad. Um, you know, it, it still has this, I mean, it's, this movie is catnip for me. I'm surprised you haven't already been like, okay, Jason, like how. I know I'm just how? letting you go. I'm watching <laughs> Eurovision on the other screen. I've noticed that your eyes have strayed. Um, <laughs> oh, there you go. You're just, you're just, you're just DMing CRJ on the side. <laughs> I get double trouble now. How's the covers album coming? Um, so, uh, so yeah, so uh, this is sort of a. It feels, you know, it's a mother-daughter movie first and foremost, um, and uh, and it also is a sort of a a light showbiz satire. And um, and for, for a long time, people have been sort of um, gently mocking Catherine Deneuve and saying that she kind of just plays her own persona in every single movie that she's done for the last, you know, let's say 20 years. <laughs> um, and I mean, she certainly does it better than anyone else. And this this role, it really lets her have a lot more humor to play with, I would say, like her just like just like the dry deadpan Gallic tartness of her of her line readings mm. um is is just priceless and uh and her you know complete disinterest in uh, in so many of the details of her family life and in uh, <laughs> her, her complete narcissism and her inability to focus on anything other than her own reputation um and her own mythology which she has now completely fabricated in this mm -hmm. memoir that's 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 called La Verite the truth and uh, which uh, her daughter would like her to know that she knows is actually not at all the truth. It's it's almost entirely fictional. And um, so, yeah, this is this is just a really this is a beautifully acted, beautifully observed sort of mother daughter dramedy. 
that you know gives two of the the greatest actresses of all time the chance to uh, to uh, to sort of show down with each other. Uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, um, once again, we agree. I mean, I think that the the story is a little on the nose, right? Because um, Catherine Deneuve is playing in this movie where she's playing. Uh, it's a sci-fi story about a mother and a daughter who have uh, an interesting dynamic because the mother has to go to space for so many years at a time. And so she ends up not getting older, but the daughter continues to grow up. And so it's, there's this mirror here and, and it's obvious and it's also discussed within the movie. Um, and I think that between that and this, like it feels just like an actor's showcase showdown of that becomes like a Mulholland Drive moment for me where I just keep getting sucked into these like little moments and like kind of start crying. And then she'll be like, Oh, I should have saved that for the movie. And it's like, this, that meant nothing. Why did you do that to me? I'm crying for nothing. And then there's, there's another big one at kind of at the end when, because uh, Julia Benoche's character is also a screenwriter. So um, they all have these like tools of manipulation uh, for emotion of each other. And every time I just get sucked in because I, you know, maybe because it's in French, maybe because I'm just like in awe of the acting and they make me buy it and they make mm-hmm. me buy it in the movie it, that's in the movie. And um, it's just the movie toys with you. And if you just want to see this showcase of acting and it's the story doesn't really have there's also kind of these weird moments where it's like that dance montage and the end, which kind of felt really cheesy and inappropriate. Um, it did. And that's it's funny you bring that up because I was just I was reading an interview with Corey Ada because I was really genuinely curious like why he made this movie, and um, and he he doesn't really have a particularly strong answer for that aside from that like Julia Binoche asked him to sure um, but uh, even though I mean like all she did all she said was like come make a movie in France and then he came up with that story and then mm. he just brought it to them but um, but the the dance scene it does stick out quite a bit in the movie and uh, and to the point where I. I also was like, this doesn't exactly feel like the tone. The rest of the movie is, I don't know that it's earned this moment. This feels very abrupt. Um, right. This has not been a whimsical movie. Um, I thought, I, but, for a moment, I thought it would just be this moment where yeah. it would be like the shortest scene. And then uh, Catherine Neuve's character would play that high to get to the next thing that she needed to do. But then it kind of went on and you saw everyone dancing and it, it had, there was the music didn't quite work. And the, the same thing at the very end, they're all kind of walking and there's this like, cheesy music as though it were some sort of like American Thanksgiving movie. I don't know. It... <laughs> Tone shift well, was I, hard. I think that, well, some degree of this apparently was Corey sort of like fetishizing the West because what he said in this interview when he was asked about a dance sequence was he was like, basically, he's like, I have always, he's like, I wanted there to be a giant scene where people dance in the street and I can never do that in a Japanese movie because no one in Japan would ever break out to dance in the street. Uh, he's like, that just doesn't happen in Japan. And uh, no Japanese person would ever do that. So um, he's like, so as soon as I knew I was making a movie in France, I knew right away I was going to have a scene where they all dance in the street. <laughs> wow. Okay. That, that's literally all he said. That was, that was his explanation. I mean, I guess that's what scene. it feels like. And also, I'm just like, I feel like I for sure have seen flash mob videos from Japan, but I guess I haven't. Because according to Koreeda, that is not a thing that happens mm. in Japan. Um, so yeah, so that was just a thing he wanted to do. And so he was going to have his way. And so he made it happen. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, I also felt like it, you know, I normally enjoy like sort of like a, a dance number in the middle of a movie, but some had something about this movie. It just no. really did not feel in character. Um, especially to imagine, I mean, Catherine Deneuve's 
kind of whole energy in this movie doesn't exactly lend itself to dancing in the street but right again uh, so if it would have been this moment where she just like does it for a moment to to get the manipul- emotional upper hand that she needs to ask a favor next mm-hmm. totally makes sense but then everyone's enjoying it and like I don't know, it's weird. yeah yeah no it, it did weird. and you're yeah you're you're spot on about that kind of it did feel like that side of you know the sort of like an american family holiday movie mm. um both in that scene as well as in the is it in the in the final shot of them all walking across the yard yeah um but uh but and there's still lots of lots of details that do work even just sort of like this ongoing storyline about julia Benoche's daughter having this sort of more magical realism understanding of her grandmother as this mm-hmm. powerful witch living in a castle who sometimes turns her ex-husband into a turtle in the yard <laughs> um you know like there's there's just a lots of lots of great little character details here um yeah, although that dance sequence certainly stuck out tonally but i would say for me this is like a binge minus i would say it's a consume okay it's fair well there, well, there you go so your first non-binge of the episode you heard it here first folks you heard <laughs> <than> the truth <laughs> yeah i'll say it um <laughs> The Truth is available on Apple, Amazon, and Google, and it's rated PG. Um, Watch out for those captions. (laughs) Boy, oh boy, yeah. Last movie of the week is John Lewis, Good Trouble. Using interviews and rare archival footage, the film chronicles Lewis's 60-plus years of social activism and legislative action on civil rights, voting rights, gun control, healthcare reform, and immigration. Using present-day interviews with Lewis, now 79 years old, director Don Porter explores his childhood experiences, his inspiring family, and his fateful meeting with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1957. You always laugh when people mention the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., don't you? <laughs> Weird tick you have. Oh, no, it just always makes me think of this joke. I'm not going to tell it, but, uh, but no. Um, so this is Don Porter, uh, who you once interviewed. I did. Oh, and it seems uh, like forever ago. It really does. It really does. And uh, and now here she is, and she is uh, still out here making documentaries. That last one you interviewed her for was Trapped, right? Mm-hmm. About, uh, right. about the targeted regulation of abortion providers, which also remains very much in the news. Mm-hmm. She also made and, Gideon's Army about um, public defenders in, in the South mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for that. This didn't yeah. feel like a Don Porter movie to me. No? No, it felt like a CNN movie to me, which is, I think, who made the film. Yes. Yes. Who I made agree. the film, right? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was very... Um, it, it's a very by-the-numbers uh, kind of... Yeah, it feels like a TV documentary about John Lewis. Um, mm-hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't feel particularly... Um, doesn't really have yeah it just doesn't have that that sort of master documentary feel to it it feels yeah just sort of like a loosely assembled collection of um of interviews with john talking about his life um interviews with um other uh you know politicians and activists talking about his influence uh archival footage of him through the years um but there doesn't really do anything particularly striking with that it all feels very um sort of like yeah okay like and obviously this is, you know, like, yeah, the, the content of his life is, is astounding. And, um, but it didn't really have, a, yeah, it just didn't have much of a bite to it. It was just kind of there. Mm-hmm. 
And and they're two totally different situations, right? Like, yeah. the other movies she made, you're trying to tell a story um, of a group of people that that whose story hasn't been told, and so you need to kind of frame the whole thing and and show a very like day in the life to get the the point across of how hard these things are and what these people are fighting for with him it's much more obvious there's so much more footage he is a speaker um and politician so you have all of this um audio from him you have him present day so it's it's not the same source material at all right and it it is worth watching to learn the story there are definitely things about um nonviolent protests that i learned uh from this movie and it's important to have a a life like his captured end to end in this Mm -hmm. way so this Mm -hmm. needed to happen and you need to get a director on board who knows how to make a a a good film check check but i don't know i don't know what i what i what i would have wanted her to bring to it like yeah you know a grittier underside but i don't know if that's even there to to happen right yeah i mean it's it's tough because i feel like um I don't know how long she'd been in production on this movie, but a big part of his um, sort of achievement in life is undone in the timeline of this movie. Right. Uh, because, you know, it was, you know, in the in the Voting Rights Act uh, of 64, 65, um, you know, John Lewis was, you know, very much uh, one of the architects of that. And then, of course, the Supreme Court disastrously struck down a very key piece of that several years back in which they essentially decided that racism didn't exist anymore Mm. um, and that it no longer needed to have that federal protection. And so in this movie, it almost feels like it, it it addresses that, but it almost like doesn't want to get too bogged down by the negativity of that. And Mm. so instead it just shows us him dancing to happy by Pharrell Williams um you know which is adorable don't get me wrong mm-hmm. I and mean, he's he's he, you know there's nothing else i learned from this it's that he's one of the cutest little old men there ever was um but it, that all of that stuff feels like it almost feels like her effort to make just a, a straightforward reverent cradle to grave not that he's dead yet documentary about john lewis was sort of sidetracked by the fact that like in his later years one of his signature accomplishments was undone. Yeah, it feels very tough to just watch this movie like sort of celebrating his accomplishments that also acknowledges that one of his signature accomplishments was undone and has now created, you know, and, and especially in an election year. Right. Um, it's very distressing to, and, and we see, you know, uh, you know, the redlining, we see the effects of, um, you know, uh, of all the efforts by, by the right, by the GOP, by Republicans to continue to disenfranchise voters. Um, and we know uh, that that's going to ramp up in probably potentially unprecedented ways. Um, no, absolutely. I mean, it already has, months. right? Yeah. Because of um, coronavirus. And, and that's the movie yeah. that I can imagine Don Porter making, which is yes. telling the story of like small voting districts and the people that are trying to get them up. And then you know, the last minute being told they need to shut down and not tell people like that's the story that I can see her making. And hopefully that's on the books. I could also see yeah. separately that there is this like, you know, something that should be shown in schools and something that seems mm-hmm. made for TV. Um, just story of his life. I didn't, I didn't know it. I learned a lot from it, but it's not something that is, you know, a particularly noteworthy documentary for the documentary purpose. 
Yeah, and they they even have them do a thing that we saw them do in the Norman Lear documentary, right? Where they mm. sit him down and they have him watch footage mm-hmm. back from his life and sort of react to it. Um, but it seems like maybe he didn't give them much because they didn't really show much from from that. So right. it seems like maybe he he yeah must not have had many reactions when when they were showing him that yeah. footage. It seems like that kind of went nowhere and. The CNN Films, to your like you mentioned, is like a uh, is a studio on this movie, but not all of their um, productions feel this TV movie. Like they also were the studio on Linda Ronstadt's Sound of My Voice, mm. and um, and that to me felt um, like a much more sort of like fully fleshed out documentary portrait um, than than this one does. Mm. So I, and I even, didn't see that one, unfortunately. Oh, it's really good. It's really good. Um, but yeah, to your point, it does feel like Don Porter would be wanting to make that movie about, you know, even if it were to sort of break the fourth wall and to be like, here we are making this movie about John Lewis right, and right. Voting Rights Act. And and now here we are and suddenly it's undone and we are facing this, you know, and, you know, a sort of an unprecedentedly corrupt uh, Republican Party, uh, you know, em- empowered and enabled to, you know, to act in ways heretofore thought unconscionable. Mm-hmm. And with no and now with no, um, you know, Voting Rights Act to restrict them from doing so. And, you know, already, of course, having seen, you know, we we go back over one of the sort of real time losses that we see in this movie is Stacey Abrams. Right. Uh, you know, losing the, um, you know, uh, governor of Georgia in uh, 2018. And, uh, and and John Lewis is a congressman in Georgia. And so, you know, he's he's there on the ground with her. And that is painful to relive because we do see. The movie does go back and trace sort of like just the excitement of her campaign, right? And um, and just the enthusiasm that she drove, and uh, rightfully so. And at least we know uh, that Stacey Abrams has not, you know, she was not bowed by that, and you know, and she right. came out of that very much an avenging angel, um, and you know, and working around the clock to find ways to fight back against voter suppression. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, it just feels like the movie feels just kind of bizarrely almost out of touch with all that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough. I was worried about this one because I, I didn't, I didn't love it. And I, 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 yeah, I didn't know where you were going to come from on this one, but yeah, I feel like we're, we're on the same page here. I think it's, it's a consume. This is a story that people need to know. Um, educate, we need to educate ourselves. Um, especially during, when you, you get teed up enough of, of the Voting Rights Act to to give you a little bit of context about why why it being undone is so important, and um, that plays really well in the current context as well because you it is so clear that so many things have not changed, uh, and why it's still so very necessary. So it's definitely a consume in terms of it being m- more than educational. Same for you. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, <clears throat> yeah, if if yeah, this is the kind of thing where if you have no background on John Lewis. Or if you're just sort of casually aware of him and would like to know more about him, then yeah, this movie will will give you basically his life story, and uh, it will also sort of further light a fire under you about the importance of uh, of fighting voter suppression. Um, but it will also it might leave you the same way it left us, just wishing the movie had just grown teeth and gone after that subject a bit more pointedly than it does, mm. uh, just like the way that John Lewis did. Yeah. It's available on Apple, Amazon, Google, and it's rated PG. All right. That's it for this part of the month, the first part of July. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. 
Uh, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Android, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Jason is on Twitter at Excess Baggage. I'm at Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the binge. binge.